Do you know the Spirit of the Lord is alive and moving? Amen. Anybody? Anybody? Do you know the Spirit of the Lord speaks to us? Yes. Yes. Reveals things, teaches us, equips us. Thank you. Good, Atticus. <laughs> so this scripture was brought to my spirit by the Holy Spirit, and it's Hebrews 12, and it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm -hmm. Preach it. Come on. Therefore, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's so many things I like about this sentence. First of all, you are receiving it. Receiving, that's a continually happening action. You can receive as much of the kingdom of God in your life as you are willing to receive it. That's right. As you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, can things of this world be shaken? Can the economy be shaken? Yes. Can health be shaken? Yeah. Can relationships be shaken? Mm -hmm. But we belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Uh, let me continue. That's just the first part. <laughs> let us be thankful. Oh, guess what? It doesn't matter what's going on. Can we have gratitude? We can have gratitude because we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so worship God acceptably. Oh, well, kids, how do we worship God acceptably? How do we do that? It tells us with reverence and awe. Reverence is that word where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom and knowledge. Reverence means revere. You revere God, and the only way that you can revere God is if he's bigger than you are, and he's greater than you are, and you revere him. And then it also says with reverence and awe. Do you know what awe is? He's amazing because that's how big your faith in him is. If you don't think God can do anything, do you have much awe of him? No. Are you in awe of a gnat? No, because you can smack a gnat. But we have awe of the one that we have faith in mm. and we revere. Mm. So our God is a consuming fire. Everyone say fire. Fire. Okay, so listen. When we are in the presence of the Lord, which, by the way, is all the time, all the time, our God is a consuming fire. Is our God just okay with the way things are right now? Mm. No. Your God is a consuming fire. And what does he consume? Everything in you that is not of his kingdom. Right. If you come to him with reverence and awe. So when you set yourself in front of your God, and let me tell you, it's not just when you're singing, it's worship. Your life is worship. We are a living sacrifice. We are living vessels. We are a part of the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. When you set yourself up in reverence and awe of your God, the things in you and around you that are not of his kingdom will be consumed by his fire that refines and purifies. So if there's something in you like, ugh, I can't shake this, guess who can shake it? The Spirit of God can shake you. He is a consuming fire, and he refines and purifies the things within us and around us that do not meet his standards for the kingdom. And what's left is love, joy, and peace. Amen? That's beautiful. Amen? So that's Amen. Hebrews 12. You can read it later. I Amen. just wanted to share that. Amen. Awesome. Um, Thank praise you. the Lord. You're welcome. Praise God. All right. Well, that'll preach. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm excited. Uh, we are in a series uh, right now called Unleashed. We started a couple weeks ago, and we're identifying six things that keep us imprisoned in our mind, that keep us stuck. These things that are just inside that keep us from growing and being all that are meant to be. They are called to be in Christ. And this morning, we are talking about touchy subject for some people. It's a very personal subject for many of us. 
Freedom from depression. Depression. Amen. Um, we're not tossing around any easy softballs around here at Generations Church. Amen. This is a, this is a real, uh, it's an interesting subject, but it's a whole spectrum. When we talk about issues with depression and discouragement, anxiety, despair, we're dealing with a whole spectrum of things here. We recognize that on the one side, there's kind of like the struggle with uh, discouragement or sadness that every single one of us, you know, go through. You might have a day where it's just, man, it's tough or something like that. Something's going on in your life and the sadness that all of us wrestle with on occasion. And at the other end of that spectrum uh, is what we could say clinical depression, clinical depression, which is a real thing. It's more than just feeling blue, right? It's, uh, it's an actual condition of the physical brain. There's a chemical thing going on there. And as such, it requires more than just a, a pep talk when we're talking about that. Depression is generally characterized by long-term sadness, by lethargy. It's a melancholy that can just overwhelm you. And if you've ever gone through a season of this, you know what I'm talking about. Depressed people can have, you could just have a hard time mustering the will to get out of the bed, right? And sometimes that can lead friends and family to uh, mean well, but they can erroneously say, ah, oh, you're just being lazy. What's wrong with you? You know, get up, get on. You know, there's nothing wrong with your life. And, and I think anybody who's gone through this can, can tell you depression is not about laziness. It is a deep, soul-crushing apathy that can, it, sometimes it can even give you doubts, you know, whether life's worth living. It, 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 it can take you to some very dark places. Depression has been shown to cut across social strata, races, genders, religions. And that means that a good number of Christians experience depression. So that's why we're talking about this. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, one in four people in America suffer from anxiety. One in five people suffer from some form of depression. So think about that for a second. One in five. That means whether you're sitting here at church on a Sunday morning or you're out laughing with friends on a Friday night, someone near you, if not yourself, is suffering real emotional pain even if they may appear happy and sociable and able to deal with life on the outside. And even, and this is important, even if this isn't something that you personally wrestle with, the odds are you know someone who does. You definitely know someone who does. Or, and if you, especially if you consider yourself part of a church community, like we are here at Generations, the, a part of the body of Christ, um, then it's good for us to, to wrestle through some of these things so we can be healed as well as we want to be instruments of healing, right? And that's the ultimate goal for every single one of us. We want to be instruments of healing. Amen? Amen. You can talk back to me today. It's okay. We won't even, Bob won't throw you out or anything if you laugh or talk or anything. So it's cool. I like it. Um, I'll tell you what's really heartbreaking for me is the number of people that I talk to and find out that they, they've been suffering in silence, or maybe they've been suffering in, in shame. We talked about shame last week, and depression can be a big part of this shame we can feel because there's still the stigma attached to it, right? There's a stigma attached to, the, to illness of depression, anxiety, things like this. I mean, let's face it, mental illness is not cool, right? If you break your arm, people want to hear the story. They want to sign your cast, Nobody wants to sign your head if you're suffering from depression. It's just, it's not one of those things, it's those things we, we get really awkward about. When you're suffering it can, from this, it can feel like such an embarrassment to be going through. And that's often because 
I would say in the church, we, we've sometimes fallen into two different responses to this. Um, either in the church, we kind of ignore it altogether because it's, it's awkward and we sweep it under the rug because, you know, we're all saved. We're all, you know, we're free in Christ. So let's, we're all just happy, right? We're all just really happy. And so that's kind of one response. Or the other way we've thought to approach this is to treat it as simply a spiritual problem. It's just a spiritual problem. And so the right answer is simply you need to read your Bible longer and pray harder, you know, or something like that. Um, or we'll, we'll just cast the devil out of you, right? So that must be the problem. Um, which, of course, demonic oppression, spiritual oppression, can be a, definitely a real thing. And if that's, uh, if that's one of the roots of it, we want to address that. But I think there is a wise and loving way that we can approach this better. And what we definitely don't want to do is think that we're helping, uh, but really what we're doing is we're heaping condemnation on people. We're heaping confusion on people in the form of, well, you're unhappy because you obviously don't have enough faith, right? That, that's your problem. Or you're, you're, you're obviously letting some door open to demonic influence in your life. You're, you know, it's you. You're, the, you're, the, you're who's at fault. I got to say that is a Pharisee move, right? We don't, let's not do that. That is a shortcut. It's the easy shortcut of saying, well, someone here must have sinned. Who was it, right? That you're dealing with this. Someone's at fault. They asked Jesus that one time. They said, this, oh, here's a blind person, right? So who sinned? It was a him or his, his parents. And Jesus totally reframes that whole conversation in, in John 9. And Jesus says, neither. But I am going to show you how much God loves this man by healing him. Amen? And that should be our response as Christ followers to every situation going on around us, whether someone is depressed, whether someone is suffering, whatever social injustice is happening. I really don't care who's at fault or who's sinned. Our response should be to rush to the side of the person who is hurting and to show the love of Jesus. Right? Across lines. Amen? That was a little extra. I'm coming back. Here we go. The reality is most mental health issues is that there's usually more going on than just one thing. Uh, And the reason why is because as human beings, we are a whole person. You're a whole person, right? So one of the, one of the pieces uh, of advice that I give to people who are struggling with this is let's address this thing holistically, okay? God created us as uh, a body, a soul, and a spirit. So we're whole people. So we really, we can't separate the physical from the spiritual, from the emotional, the psychological, uh, your family history, your current relational networks, your past trauma that you've gone through, uh, the chemicals, you know, and the neurons in your brain that are firing a thousand times a second in a carefully choreographed sequence, right? Your brain is basically the most complex organ in your body, isn't it? right? So there's a lot of things going on here. You're not just, you're not like three separate people. You're one integrated being. This is the way God created you. Now, often there are spiritual issues at work, and that's what we're going to primarily deal with today because I'm a pastor. I'm not a licensed psychotherapist, right? Which you should go visit to deal with the medical or pharmacological side of attacking that thing. But today we're going to deal with the spiritual side of this. But I do want to be clear here, the church should never be a place for shame. This should be the place for healing. Amen? So no shame. If you're here and you're like, I'm being crushed by this right now. Praise God that you are here, or praise God that, well, we don't have a live stream going on, but praise God that, you know, you might be listening to this uh, by podcast, and uh, so praise God for that, right? No shame. This is a place for healing, and this morning we're going to look and see what is the faith part of this process. I do, I want to encourage people who maybe have been told that 
that medicine is, is bad or something like that. Because we do, you know, we have to face it. We live in kind of a weird tension uh, today where, where not every part of the Christian community is, is okay with this conversation about medication. Um, here's the way I look at it. Just Pastor Scott, the way he looks at it, uh, you know, you wouldn't pass up medical attention if you got diagnosed with cancer. Amen? You wouldn't not go to the doctor if you broke your arm. You wouldn't not go get a pair of glasses or some contacts so you could see better, right? And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a health issue here. Um, and so very often for some people, um, you know, go, just going to a, a qualified, solid therapist, you know, and, and talking, helping someone who can help you kind of reframe these things or taking medication. Sometimes for those people, that just gets you to the level of being able to then do that hard work of controlling our thought life and to do those spiritual disciplines that we need to do, right? So some people, uh, they, they, that, that is another tool that can come alongside uh, these spiritual tools that we're talking about. And lastly, I would also say that there is a physical component that uh, scientists are finding today we, that play in our mental health. Uh, and that includes uh, eating right, getting lots of sleep, exercise, all things that I hate. I don't like any of those things. Um, but, but God made your body as this complex machine, right? And it all works together. And you've got these amino acids that can form trans, neurotransmitters that can either help or hinder you. Um, and so there is a medical component. Sometimes there's a therapeutic or a physical component and a spiritual component. What we want to do, uh, what we all want to do here is normalize the fact. I want to I want to make this really clear to you right now so there's no condemnation of Christ. We want to normalize the fact that you can love Jesus. You can serve him with your whole life. You can be innocent of egregious unrepentant sin and you can still feel depressed. And you you can experience anxiety. But I do believe that there is hope. And I believe that today you can be unleashed from that prison of depression in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So let's look at the scriptures to see what is the spiritual part of this path to healing that we want, because God does have something to say that'll set us free. When Jesus was walking the earth, he made it very clear that joy was one of his promises. Joy was meant for believers. In John 15, he says, if you keep my commandments, he's going to tell us in just a second what he's talking about there. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. That sounds good. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So clearly here we can see joy is supposed to be part of the inheritance of believers. We're meant to walk in joy. You were created to walk in joy, right? God does not desire that you remain discouraged. You're not getting extra crowns in heaven for being discouraged. Amen? Verse 12, my command is this. Okay, here's what I, he's saying. Here's what I want you to do to live in this fullness of joy. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I've loved you. Love like I love. That's what Jesus is saying. He's even going beyond here the, the earlier command where he said, you know, basically the, the golden rule, you know, love others as you would have them love or love each other, love God, love others as you love yourself. He's saying, okay, now he's going way beyond here. Love others as I love you. So that, what's the fruit of living this way? So that God's joy can be in us. God's joy. Later on over in uh, chapter 17, he tells us again that we're to live in love so that that full measure of his joy will be completed in us. 
living in love so that that full measure of joy will be completed in us. And yet, we know many of us still suffer from depression. So why? Why are we not feeling the joy that the gospel promises that we should be experiencing? Well, a couple things I want to mention first. We have to acknowledge the nature of, you've heard this phrase said a lot, this already not yet kingdom that we live in, right? The already not yet kingdom that Jesus has brought here. There's parts of it that are here. There's parts of it that haven't been fully realized. The Apostle Paul reminds us that there is spiritual warfare going on. We don't yet live in heaven, do we? There is spiritual warfare. We were born into a world at war. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every pretension. These are the things that are going on in our brain that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So yeah, Jesus has come. He's won the victory. Praise God. That's good news. But we still live in occupied territory, right? We were born into a world at war. We still have to take captive our own thoughts. We have an enemy who lives to steal, kill, and destroy. And so while we're doing the things in the natural uh, to take care of ourselves, we also have a spiritual role to play in making that gospel manifest in our life. The gospel is real, but, but we have a role to play to make it manifest, right? What I, what I have here today is the light turned on for me in studying this in the past few weeks that got me so excited, and I just want to share it with you this morning. I'm so excited about this. If you're looking for three words that capture the essence of the gospel, that proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that God has conquered all, that He is reconciling everything, that he is reconciling all the broken parts of this world under his reign. Those three words are faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. The Apostle Paul once wrote that these three, even at the end of all things when everything else has passed away, these three things will endure forever because this is what his kingdom, God's kingdom, is built on. Faith, hope, and love. Over in Hebrews chapter 10, it mentions all three of these concepts in the same, same sentence. It says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, has, he who has promised is faithful. Let us provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, meet together. These three things, I want us to hold these in our minds here for the next few minutes, faith, hope, love. These are the greatest, I think these are the greatest gifts that God has given the church to partner with him to save the world. Amen? Faith, hope, and love. So let's talk about each of these for a minute, and then uh, I'm going to show you something that's just going to blow your mind, how it relates to mental health. Here we go. Let's talk about faith for a second. In week one of this series, we talked about faith extensively. We talked about the importance of faith in living out the life that God wants you to live. And if you remember, we kind of came up with our own summary of Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is the Scott Hill translation of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is a vivid vision. It's that Greek word, hypostasis. It's a vivid vision. You just get it in your brain of what you hope to happen. It's what you will hope to happen. And it creates the joy of it happening even before it's ever happened. It's a vivid vision of what you hope to happen that creates the joy of it happening before it's actually happened. So the, the most important thing I have learned 
in dealing with my own, my own experience with discouragement and counseling others who suffered from depression. So much of the time when we are in that pit of despair, our feelings actually have zero connection to reality. You can't trust your feelings all the time. You can't trust what your brain is telling you all the time. Um, in other words, we, we, we assume sometimes that we're feeling depressed because of something that's happening around us or because of this thing that's happened. Sometimes that is true, like when we are grieving the loss of a loved one who's passed away. That's a real thing, and we've got to walk through that grief, right? That's a real thing. Uh, or, or if we've lost a job, you know, there could be a time where if we grieve that, the loss of that job or something like that. We can go through that. But with clinical depression and anxiety, the reality is that I feel bad or I feel anxious because something is wrong with my body, right? Something's wrong. Yeah, everything could be going right around me and I would still feel this way. That's the way it is. And there's something in my brain, my chemical makeup that's rebelling against how God created it to function. So I'm not actually depressed because of what's happening around me. This is why Jesus can tell us over and over, and the apostles tell us the same thing, that, that we, we can be joyful no matter what. This is why Jesus says, just rejoice in everything, no matter what's going on. Because what happens around me doesn't actually have to drive the car of my brain unless I just want to be a passenger, unless I just want to go along for the ride. We don't have to be a passenger. Reality is not always what my brain is saying. Reality is defined by God's Word. It's solid. It's objective. It's the substance of things hoped for. Amen? We could say it like this. Faith is the difference between fact and feeling. Faith is the difference between fact and feeling. So, step one, when we're battling uh, mental and emotional discouragement, is to remind ourselves of God's truth. Remind ourselves, because that is ultimate truth. The, the things we're feeling, the, the thoughts we're thinking, they're not always ultimate truth, right? God's Word is ultimate truth. God says in Galatians, so I can trust that God says in Galatians 4, 7, that I am His own son or daughter, that I am an heir in Christ Jesus, amen? I can believe, I can, I can, I can accept that John 15, 15 says that I am not just a servant, but I am a friend of God. That is ultimate truth, right? That Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation against me because I am in Christ. That is ultimate truth, regardless of what my brain says. So this is really what faith is about. Faith is about trust, trusting. It's not uh, just about being 100% certain about everything. It's not about uh, having no more questions and no more doubts even, right? Faith declares, faith, faith can exist right alongside your questions. It can exist right alongside your doubts. It can right alongside all that mystery. Faith can be there. It declares that I trust God loves me even when I don't feel it. That's what faith, that's the role of faith. God loves me even when I don't feel it. I trust that God will lead me in this life even when I don't see the way through. I don't see the path. I'm going to trust that God is going to lead me. That is great faith. Even in the presence of doubts, that's great faith right? We've said it before. It's kind of a good correlation is like the, the connection between fear and courage. The opposite of fear isn't courage, right? The opposite, or the enemy of courage isn't fear. To, to run into the battle while you have fear is an act of courage, right? It's the same way with faith. To trust in the Lord in the midst of having doubts is an act of great faith. 
That is great faith. Because faith is not a feeling. Just pretend like I said that 10 times. Faith is not a feeling, okay? Faith is an act of will. It's believing that God will do what he said, even when it doesn't feel like it. That feeling that you're feeling that God has abandoned you is not reality. That's not reality. It is a lie of your brain. So just don't believe it. However, however, that's not to say that your feelings are unimportant. Oh, no, no, no. Because remember, you're an integrated being, your body, soul, spirit, right? So you remember this picture we showed last week that shows how modern-day psychology is even looking at supporting what the Bible has been preaching for thousands of years, right? That your thought life has an effect on your feelings and your emotions, which in turn has an effect on your actions, right? Which in turn has an effect on your thought life. Well, notice something cool. What have we said about faith? Faith is the spiritual expression of your thought life. And so, what actually forms the emotional? Now, faith isn't a feeling, but so what does form the emotional component in all this? That is your hope. Hope. See, hope is great, but you feel hope, right? When your hope rises, oh, it feels good when hope is rising up in your heart. Hope is the direction that we point our faith. We can point our faith in our hopes or our fears, right? We can point it. We, so what we hope, and, and the problem is that when you are stuck in that that uh, mire of depression and anxiety, you get stuck in your head, don't you? Right? You, you can repeat scriptures all day long, but to even get to hope, some of you know what I'm talking about, it, it, it can be hard to just get to that place where there is real hope, where you really are believing any of it. Um, the author Stephen Altrog says, depression turns our brain into a swirling mass of half-truths and distorted perceptions. You can't trust it. It turns our brain into a swirling mass of half-truths and distorted perceptions. Up seems down. Truth seems hard to believe. Paranoia and lies seem more likely than the truth. So what do we do? We have to remember that hope is found outside of ourselves. It's found outside in, in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our, our hope can be found in the presence of community, in relationship with other people. See, it's during these times that we need someone to help keep hope alive. You need someone else. Not in a preachy, condemning way, not someone to just come there and tell you you're doing everything wrong, but in a way, but someone to remind us of truth, right? When I'm discouraged, I need someone to come alongside me and say, listen, I'm going to walk you through this. We're just going to walk through this together, but here's what is true. I'm just going to remind you what is true. It doesn't feel true, but it's true that God is for you, not against you, that God loves you. He doesn't condemn you. He won't let you go. You need someone to walk alongside you to remind you that. That helps create that feeling of hope, helps create hope. Philippians 2.2 says, our joy is found in unity with each other. Joy in unity, right? Being of the same mind, the same love. That's not agreeing about everything, because that's impossible, it's about the unity that we have in Christ. That's where our joy is found. And so if you're depressed, one of the greatest temptations, though, is to shut people out. And you know what I'm talking about if you've gone through those seasons. You don't want to run and share with a whole bunch of people. 
what, you, what, what your brain tells you to do is shut people out, stay in your room, shut down the lights, and I get that. But you need someone to gently remind you of what is real, that faithful friend who will walk through the valley with you. So often, hope is found not just in praying longer and singing louder and reading more scripture. Those, those things are good. You should do those things. But so often, that's not, that doesn't generate the hope that is found in a faithful friend who will come and do those things with you. Amen? So we have faith. We have hope. The third part of this trifecta, I bet you can guess what it is. Love. Faith, hope, love, right? And as Paul says, the greatest of these, baby, is love. Because love is where we move outside of the confines of our brain. We move past the emotions that we're wrestling with, and we put our body into motion. That's love. There comes a moment where we can no longer just sit and wait for everything to feel all better. We have to force the flesh to obey. Obey the Word of God. Obey what Jesus said. This is where the joy is, that you obey my commandment, that you love one another. We have, to, we have to force our flesh to do what we were created to do, which is to love and to be loved. You were created to love and to be loved. Do you know that? That's what you were made for, to allow God's love to flow through us so we can love other people. I don't know about you, I find it fascinating how this, this cycle of, of thoughts, emotions, feelings, and, and actions here, the same pattern for healthy life and vitality, it's all right here in God's Word. It's all right here. And notice something else. Notice that love does not correspond to feelings, right? That's hope. The Bible's approach, because the, and it's proven in the Bible over and over, the, the Bible's approach to love is not as a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Love is always an action. Sorry about that. It's an action you choose to put into practice. Love is always an action you choose to put into practice, right? So when Jesus says, love others as I have loved you, it's not muster up that nice warm feeling of love like I have mustered up for you. No, it's put it into practice. Love each other in action. So here's my challenge for you. While you're doing, if this is you, if, if, while you're doing the things in the natural realm to, to get healthy, you're eating better, you're exercising, you're seeing a therapist, whatever it is you need to do, take medicine if it's prescribed, all those good measures. But remember, ultimate happiness is found in Jesus. Ultimate happiness is found in Jesus. For real victory, for lasting victory, the kind that goes right down to the soul, we want to practice these things. Practice faith. Faith in God's word, his promises, and his truth. You're practicing faith in God's truth. We exercise our faith in God's truth. We realign our thought life to line up with what God says. We take all those other thoughts captive. We spend time imagining the future that God has in store for you. Imagine yourself well, right? This is practicing faith. Like God's declaration of your identity rule you. The second thing we do is we practice hope. How do we do that? Reaching out. We reach out to other people. See, all this is your part to play, right? This is, this is why I said we don't just kind of sit back and just wait for God to do all his stuff. Heal me, make me all better, right? We got, us do, we got something to do. We partner with the Lord in everything in life. We partner with him, right? So here we do. We're going to practice hope by reaching out. Don't go solo. That's the worst thing you can do, Reject the temptation to isolate 
and instead reach out to other people who can encourage us, who can love on us, comfort us, remind us of what's possible. Scriptures have been telling us for, this is 4,000-year-old wisdom here from the Scriptures, and today backed up by modern-day psychology confirms it, is that we cannot fight this thing alone. You're not meant to fight this thing alone. We need each other. We need community. We're called the body of Christ. All of us are the body of Christ. All of us are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the body of Christ. We need a friend. Sometimes it's just someone who will just sit there with us without judgment or condemnation and and help carry the baggage for a couple hours until we can feel human again, right? And the church can and should be right at the center of this. This is why coming back is so great. It's so important that we're coming back together in person Um, instead of just, you know, making you stay home and watch this online because we need each other in the flesh. We need each other to help one another become more like Jesus. That's what we say. We come, we come to church to help each other become more like Jesus. This isn't a social club. It's not a trite religious obligation or something like that. This is life here. This is real life. This isn't like the little bubble outside of real life. This is real life that equips us for the rest of real life, right? So, so you know, and watching church online is a blessing of modern technology that can hold us over in the meantime, you know, if you're somebody who, you know, uh, needs to have that time for health reasons or whatever it is until you're no longer at risk. But honestly, honestly, it's like the difference between fast food and a home-cooked meal, right? It can, fast food can sustain you. It sustains me several times a week, you know, unfortunately, you can tell. Um, but eventually, you need to come and sit around the table with your brothers and sisters and experience a real meal. Amen? Amen. God wired us this way. He wired us to need other human beings to to help shoulder what we're carrying and keep hope alive. So we practice faith, we practice hope, and you know what comes next? We practice love. We practice love by serving others. Love is like, I think of it like an engine. You got to prime the pump a little bit to get it going sometimes, but then it takes off right? You prime that pump, you pull that cord, it's off. It's, it's doing its own thing. Because the more you love others, the more you experience the love of God in you, the more it makes you want to love others more. It just is this beautiful, beautiful engine. And when we keep it bottled up, we're bottling up joy. We think this is the, we think not going out, not doing anything is the thing that I, that I need to do right now. But what we're doing is bottling up joy, there's joy in giving yourself away. There's joy in loving others the way Christ has loved you because we're made in the image of a loving God. We're made in the image of a self-giving God. That's who you were made after. And so we're actually our most authentic self when we give ourselves away. Sometimes I, I felt blessed. I felt fortunate that God placed me in a position in life where I have to, you know, get in front of people. I have to talk with people because there are times, there are weeks where I just want to, I, I understand it, man. I, I want to like escape to the cocoon. But when I, when I do it, when I, when, I, when I walk into my calling, I realize, oh, God replenishes me and I feel his love and I feel his mercy. And I just want to overflow that to other people, right? And when I, when I am forced to go against what my DNA tells me to do, Amen. Which is run and hide sometimes from some of y'all. Amen. <laughs> Not you. Those other people. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the biggest things you can do if you struggle with depression is get out there and serve. 
one of the big lies of depression is that what you do doesn't matter, that you don't matter. Nobody will, nobody will care if I stay home and just stay in my room. That's one of the lies of depression. You do matter. You matter to other people. We need you to help us become more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. And here's what's cool. While you're praying for God and you're believing for God to heal you of these things, of, of anxiety, of discouragement, depression, you just may be the answer God has in mind for someone else. You, your unique makeup, your unique experience, your unique DNA and personality and everything, the wisdom God's put in you, that may be exactly the answer to somebody's prayer. And, and God is just calling you to partner with him to heal someone else. Not to mention the fact that when we, when we force ourselves to focus more on the needs of other people, it puts our own problems into perspective sometimes, doesn't it? And we can experience more gratitude for our blessings. That's a whole different sermon, though. I know it's hard to do this subject justice in 40 minutes, um, but know this, that you have a Savior who knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed. He knows what it feels like to grieve, to feel at the end of your rope. Mark 14, it says that Jesus was deeply troubled, and he admitted, the Son of God, creator of the universe, admitted, my soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So Jesus isn't here to shame you, right? And he is not here to abandon you. He is here to heal you. This is my Jesus the Jesus who says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is saying this, that he is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the God we serve. We don't serve Zeus, ready to strike you with thunderbolts. We don't serve an impersonal God. We serve a God who admits that he loves you. He's humble in heart. He wants to give you rest. So I want to pray for us today. And again, you know, due to social distancing and stuff, we won't have you come forward. But if, if, if you're here today and you struggle with anything, it may be clinical depression, it may just be you had the blues this week, whatever, whatever end of the spectrum it is. Or maybe you struggle with anxieties and you don't really know the, the root of it, the source of it. But if you would like prayer for that, I'm asking you to just stand right where you're at. Just be courageous and stand because there's healing. There's healing in the house. If there's anything you have going on in your life, you need a miracle for Right now, you need a physical miracle. Maybe it's not a, a mental issue or emotional issue. Maybe it's something in your body. You need healing. Or maybe you need a financial miracle. You need another miracle or something like that. I'm going to ask you to just stand right there where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. Praise God. Thank you guys for being so courageous. If there's anyone here who you feel like you've been far from God for just far too long, and you need that joy that Jesus talks about. Maybe you have not walked in that love that he seems to talk about. And maybe that's why the joy is missing. I just invite you to stand and let him fill you with that love. Let him prime that pump, fill you with his joy.
Just yield to that Holy Spirit. You feel that tug? That's the Holy Spirit. He loves us so much. Amen. We can, we can start abiding in that love this morning. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Father, we just love you. We thank you so much for being such a tender-hearted God. We say you're the Father God with the Mother's heart. And we need that so often. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy that is without end. You don't strike us down. You don't condemn us. You come to the earth, dear God, live a life of servitude and love and then die for us, Lord God. And then you rise from the dead to show that you have ultimate victory over death, hell, and the grave. We have victory over this in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this room, Lord God, everyone who is standing right now, for whatever the need is, Lord God, if it, if it is something emotional, Lord God, if there's something mental, if there's something chemical, if there's something traumatic, something about that they just need to deal with, I thank you, Lord God, you were the healer. Lord God, you, your will is not that we just suffer and deal for the rest of our lives. I thank you, Lord God, that you have come to bring healing in Jesus' name. Lord God, for all the other needs that are represented in the house today, physical needs, healing that we need, Lord God, financial miracles, Lord God, miracles in our relationships. I thank you, Lord God, that you can do what nobody can do. You make a way where there is no visible way. Thank you for your miracle working power flowing through this house right now into people's bodies and their situations in their minds from head to toe. I thank you for your love and your peace, Lord God, your healing. And Lord, for anyone here who is just being courageous enough to say, I want to yield to that Holy Spirit. Maybe I've been far from you. Maybe I didn't even realize I was far from you, but maybe I am. I thank you, Lord God, that your mercy is here today, Lord God. Your grace, like an ocean, just sweep us away, Lord. Fill us up with your mercy so that we can show mercy. Fill us with your love so we can show love. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others thank you, Lord God. May your kingdom come, and we walk in the victory of that kingdom in this day and age. Right now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Join us this Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.